For great-looking T-shirts, hoodies, and sweatshirts, the TNT Shop is now open at tntradio.live. Weekends are better when you spend it with us. Weekends with Jason Olborn on today's News Talk TNT. Welcome back to Weekends. This is the second hour of the Saturday edition, and my guest this hour, Joel Skousen, is going to be on in just a moment. And incredibly, we learned today that NATO is somehow enticing or encouraging Ukraine to say that it can drop bombs and missiles over the fence into Russia, in which seems to be a direct provocation for Vladimir Putin, who has said that uh, this may well be the provocation to escalate and it has people wondering if World War III is only around the corner. Why would we go down this pathway in a war that should have ended a long time ago? Uh, one way or another, it seems that uh, we are being confused on a daily basis and forced to take sides. Who are the goodies and who are the baddies? Is it as simple as just supporting where you're coming from? Or is it a case that leadership must change around the world and we get some truth to the matter? If you're watching The Last Hour, you would have seen our very own TNT's David McBride talking about his story coming up and facing sentencing. We know, of course, of Julian Assange in London uh, appealing to uh, to see if he can appeal his extradition, and it just gets more and more confusing. How is it that whistleblowers and journalists are the ones paying the price for crimes against humanity? It just doesn't make sense, and we need answers. Well, let me tell you a little bit more about Joel Skousen. He's a political scientist and author specialising in the philosophy of law and constitutional theory. He's also a designer of high-security, self-sufficient residence and retreats from the US to Central America. His latest book is in this field is A Strategic Relocation, North American Guide to Safe Places. He was raised in Oregon and later served as a fighter pilot for the US Marine Corps during Vietnam. He then served as the chairman of the Conservative National Committee in Washington, DC, and as the executive editor of the Conservative Digest and publisher of the World Affairs Brief weekly email newsletter that focuses on the hidden globalist agenda behind US foreign and domestic policy. He's authored four books, on one on law and government, and three on his special design innovations in security architecture, and a fifth book concerning foundations of the ideal estate is also on the horizon. Quite incredible. Joel Skousen, welcome to Weekends. Thank you very much, Jason. It's good to talk to an Australian audience. I don't get many interviews uh, from your part of the world. Happy to be with you. Uh, look, it's a it's a delight, and it's a very very confusing time. Um, we, we we've seen uh, the uh, the almost uh, famous uh, interview with Tucker Carlson and uh, Vladimir Putin, and I noticed that you've uh, made some comments on on that, and that was what really got me um, sort of starting to understand the uh, the detail here. Because whilst you're, you're certainly not a fan of Vladimir Putin, you're also saying that the uh, the other guys aren't necessarily the goodies. So so how do we sort of navigate the fog, so to speak, in, in this relationship? relationship. First of all, perhaps we could start, what did you take out of the Tucker Carlson interview with Vladimir Putin? Did you see it as just a bit of reverse propaganda, if you will, or was there something more in there for, for us to take out of it in the West? Well, there's a lot in there that I've analyzed in the World Affairs Brief. Um, and, you know, I come from a, a family of long-term conservatives in the United States. My uncle was W. Cleon Skousen, who was famous for writing the book, The Naked Communist. I was 17 at the time that that book came out, and I noticed in the book that not only were there a lot of communists in the Roosevelt and Truman administration that betrayed the United States during World War II to Stalin, 
But I noticed in reading between the lines that there were a lot of non-communist in the United States State Department that were protecting them from being removed when Senator Joseph McCarthy tried to get the communists out of the government. And these non-communists were really protecting the communists. And I later found out in my research and by going to Washington that there was an Anglo-American globalist conspiracy to basically get Americans to give up their sovereignty and get them into a global government. And we're still dealing with that today. And the deep state, by the way, Jason, is the enforcement arm of that larger globalist conspiracy. So the deep state is not a separate conspiracy in and of itself. It is the enforcement arm. For example, in our CIA, you have a dark side and a white side. You have a black side that does the illegal acts and the FBI has a black side and a white side, and uh, the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Administration, uh, every law enforcement agency and government has been infiltrated with a deep state element, which basically does illegal acts and covers them up under the guise of national security, which is illegal in the United States. You're not allowed to, to, to put secret clearances on illegal acts and cover them up, but they do because they control a great deal of the judiciary in our country. And I'm afraid that Australia is beset with the same globalist conspiracy that controls many of your leaders. And I give you as evidence, both in Australia and New Zealand, the radical lockdowns uh, from the COVID uh, thing and the, the vaccine mandates and the, the quarantine camps and the utter lack of uh, constitutional protections for individual rights that occur. And the gun control, you know, Miss Arden of New Zealand gave you gun control, gave gun control in New Zealand over one false flag attack on a Muslim uh, mosque. And you got gun control here by very controlled politicians. But even more dangerous to Australia is the fact that you've sold a lot of your, if not all of your mineral rights to Red China. And that guarantees the Red China is going to take occupation of of, uh, of Australia or attempt to do so in World War III. But before I go there, let me give you an overall background going back to the Tucker Carlson uh, Putin interview because he was completely outclassed by this. He came completely unprepared to counter any of the selective history that Putin regaled him with as he talked about the history. But it's interesting that Putin admitted two things that were a core things that Tucker Carlson didn't pick up on. The one was that under Lenin and later Stalin, it was the Soviets that put the Eastern Ukrainian Russian territories, the Donbass, into the boundaries of Ukraine. It was the Soviets who put the Crimea into the boundaries of Ukraine, fully Russian speaking territories, never been part of Ukraine, and they put them in. It wasn't the West that put them in there. The Soviets also put hundreds of thousands of Russians, they forced them to emigrate from Russia into the Baltic states of Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania. And those Russians are still there today. And you have to ask yourself why. Well, Putin also admitted in that interview, which went completely over the head of Tucker Carlson, he admitted that the Soviet, though the Russian leadership initiated the fall of the Soviet Union. It wasn't the spontaneous narrative that we have been told in history that because of the desire for freedom that 
they they rioted. In fact, I covered this years ago in the World Affairs Brief, where uh, Eric Honecker, the dictator of Germany, uh, Germany, admitted on his deathbed in Chile that Moscow gave him orders to let the student protests in Leipzig go forward. In fact, the student protests would say, you know, after the fall of the Soviet Union, they'd say, the only thing we couldn't understand is where was the Stasi? Where was the secret police who would normally be there to arrest us if we did uh, a protest? And I watched the documentary in 1992 about the students who were protesting for Yeltsin sitting on top of a tank, you know, trying to boost the reform for democracy. And they said, you know, the only thing we couldn't understand, where was the KGB? Because they were nowhere to be seen. They were not arresting. They were not harassing us. In other words, somebody gave a stand down order to the Stasi and the KGB to let these things go forward. In fact, the Communist Party controlled the television stations that were broadcasting Yeltsin's appeal for democracy. Why didn't they pull the plug? You see, this was a fake demise. Now, Putin regaled Tucker Carlson with the idea, this is completely false, that Russia did this because they wanted to have peace and cooperation with the West. And then he proceeded to weave a narrative that Tucker Carlson bought hook, line, and sinker, that it was the West that rejected. They wanted to join NATO, and the West rejected us. They wanted to have a joint ABM system, and the West rejected us. Well, that really isn't all of the story. Part of the story is that the Western globalists knew that the Soviets had faked their own demise. I mean, if I could see it as an independent journalist, they obviously knew a lot more and they could see it. But they were still in the mode of covering for Russia and the Soviets. And I'll explain that in a minute. But the key thing to remember is that they could have exposed this, but they knew that Trump, uh, the, the Putin was lying. They knew that Putin wasn't sincere. And so they reject. In fact, there's no purpose if Russia is going to join NATO. The whole purpose of NATO is to protect against Russia. Mm. And if Russia truly had, uh, the fall of communism had truly gone forward, the West would have embraced it with open arms. But they didn't. For example, Putin never admitted that the, uh, why, um, the INF Treaty, the Intermediate Nuclear Forces, where we took our Pershing Intermediate Missiles out of Europe, and the Soviets were supposed to take their S-22s out of Eastern Europe. Well, the Soviets never complied. After the phony fall of the Soviet Union, we found those missiles still in the caves of Romania and Hungary, et cetera. They were still there. They had never dismantled. Putin never apologized for that. He never admitted. The Soviets took all of those thousands of prisoners, British Amer and some Australians, into the gulags as guarantees that the Americans would give up all of the Eastern Europeans and force them back into Soviet hands who had never lived in the Soviet Union. But Eisenhower did Operation Keelhaul. He drove those Eastern Europeans back into Stalin's hands um, and where a lot of them, most of them were killed or went into the gulag. I mean, the horrors that went on in World War II with our collaboration with a known enemy, uh, Stalin and the Soviets was just horrible. In fact, um, but here's the, the, the overall view that your listeners need. This is the big picture. The Anglo-American globalists have long since tried to build enemies and create world wars so that under the Hegelian dialectic, where you create a crisis so that you can provide a solution, 
that other people would not normally uh, accept. They created wars. Now, let me tell you the, the brief history. This is a very important rundown. And a lot of Americans, most Americans don't know this and most Australians don't know this. But the Western globalists, in fact, at Wall Street, gave $20 million to Leon Trotsky when he was in New York to fund the Russian Revolution. $20 million in gold bars. When he went to Canada by ship, they confiscated the gold until they got a call from the White House telling them to let Trotsky have that gold and they gave it back to him and that's what funded the revolution. So that means the White House was compromised clear back in 1917 in terms of a con. Now that doesn't mean that they were communist. The point that your listeners need to understand is that the globalists have used communism to break down the social order, to destroy countries so that they can come in and rescue them, these countries with their milder form of socialism. The British also gave an additional $20 million in gold to the Bolsheviks to fund their revolution. And then when the white Russians fought against the Bolsheviks, the Western military cut off military aid to the white Russians so that the Bolsheviks could win. Later on in World War II, where we had this treacherous lead lease, where we built up Soviet's army and built them military factories. At the end of the war, we gave Russia, through Lend-Lease, the rest of the plans to the nuclear weapons that they couldn't steal at the Manhattan Project. We know that from Major Maracy Jordan at the Montana Air Base that confiscated three trunks labeled diplomatic baggage, and he suspected a rat. He opened them up, broke the seal, and found out they contained all the nuclear plans to the nuclear weapons. Headed for Russia. And then he got a call from Harry Hopkins in the Truman administration saying, give it back to the Russians and don't ever tell anyone about it. Harry Hopkins turned out to be a communist spy. And then we gave a year later, still through Lend-Lease, even though the war was over, we gave them, the Russians, the first shipment of enriched uranium because they couldn't, they didn't know how to enrich uranium. They couldn't build a nuclear bomb with those plans without enriched uranium. So we gave it to them. That's how they were able to explode their first nuclear weapon in 1940. Then we brought Mao Zedong to power by cutting off military aid to Chiang Kai-shek in China. Later on, we brought Castro to power by cutting off military aid to Batista. The globalists brought the Sandinistas, the communist Sandinistas, to power in Nicaragua by cutting off military aid to Somoza. Do you see the pattern here? Mm. You see, they got us into World War One in order to get us into the first global government, the League of Nations, and it didn't work. It was rejected. But the Treaty of Versailles was so onerous that it guaranteed that Germany would come back against the West to get out from under those onerous requirements. And so that gave us World War II, which gave us the United Nations. In fact, in secret documents within the U.S. archives, you'll find they were using the term in the war in the United Nations two years before the United Nations were actually formed. That shows how this was part of conspiratorial plan to get us into a world government. But the UN had no enforcement powers, no military powers, no taxing powers, no teeth. So they need one more war. They need one more war to get us in Australia and the US and other Western countries into a unified global government. And in preparation for that war, they have been building these two enemies. 
letting China steal technology, giving them technology through our Commerce Department. We gave Russia during the Nixon administration because of the globalist Henry Kissinger, who was the national security advisor at the time, we gave Russia the miniature ball bearing technology so that they could merv their missiles, meaning multiple individual reentry vehicles, individual war. They couldn't do it before that time. They didn't have the miniature gyros that could guide those individual warheads. So we gave them the technology. We wouldn't have a nuclear threat from Russia to this day if it weren't for Henry Kissinger, a globalist, talking Richard Nixon into giving the Russians this technology. And I could go on and on with the list, but the key element is that they have built both of these enemies, Russia and China, over the years. And Russia has helped China. For example, Russia was the one who basically built up North Korea originally, but when China came over in the Korean War to take Russia's place and attack U.S. troops. This was done under U.S. or the United Nations, the, the Korean War. And in charge of the United Nations military headquarters is always by law in the United Nations, a Russian general. So all of our military plans in the Korean War had to be approved by a Russian general who, of course, immediately telegraphed them to China so that China could counter those things. Only MacArthur decided he wouldn't tell anybody about his Incheon landing, which is what cut Korea in half and helped us get at least to a stalemate in there. But he purposely didn't tell the United Nations that he was going to do that invasion of Incheon because he knew about these spies. So what I'm trying to tell your audience, this is a very complex conspiracy going on. And the, Amer the Anglo-American globalists are not our friend. They are been our they are trying to get us out of national sovereignty. They control your government. They control our government. And this is the problem. But Russia and China are both enemies as well. They're innately communists, and the Russians fake their own demise. They're still communists. Uh, they still control the various parties, including the United Russia Party, which Putin is part of it. But you see, Tucker Carlson didn't know any of this background. He didn't know anything about this. And so when Russia, when, when Putin would tell him that we did this for peace and cooperation, well, he bought it hook, line, and sinker. He didn't have any of the counters that I could provide about these types of things. Now, let me tell you that the Ukraine war, and, and of course, Putin regaled him about it was the West fault for the Ukraine because of going to put NATO into Ukraine, and I felt threatened, and et cetera. But, you know, if, if Tucker knew his history, he would know that NATO, for example, refused to let Georgia become part of NATO because in deference to Russia complaining that we didn't want NATO on our border. Now, let me just dispense of one thing. NATO's already on Russia's border in the Baltic states. They're all NATO members. They're right on his border. Are there nuclear weapons in the Baltic states? No. You don't have to put nuclear weapons on the border of a country to threaten them. They don't have to move them anywhere. You can launch them from the U.S. and hit anywhere in the world. Mm. So this is a false indication that I'm afraid of NATO on my border because you're going to put nuclear weapons. No, no, no. That just doesn't happen. 
Joel, but I'm just gonna, sorry to cut you off there. We've just we've just gone over time for the break, so I'm just going to quickly right, go sure. to that break, and that's okay. And we'll continue because it's uh, it's incredibly important information for our audience to understand the background and to realise that it's not just a case of picking sides; it's a case of understanding what's really going on. And it seems that all roads lead to this uh, global conspiracy to create one world government. And we're going to get into the motivations behind that after the break. Before we go, at TNT Radio, we never go home. We're committed to bringing you our take on the biggest topics of our time. And as you know, we broadcast live 24-7 online globally, no matter what. We've got you covered on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. TNT's Bruce de Torres. How did that impact you, that, that first year of studying and realizing you, I presume, were seeing something that was not only unprecedented, if not unbelievable, but unbelievably harmful? What did that cause you to do? I realized really from the very beginning of the pandemic that this was all um, pushed by propaganda. This, this, was, this wasn't science, this wasn't medicine, this was propaganda that was being pushed by the mainstream media, it was pushed by public health authorities that I knew to be corrupt from my you know, legal battles uh, before the pandemic. Uh, these were very corrupt individuals who were pushing these pandemic measures uh, and really, it seems like all proper medicine and science was just being thrown out the window to push a certain agenda and certain pharmaceutical products on the population. World Stage and Bruce de Torres on today's News Talk TNT. TNT is an independent global news talk station that does what others only say they do. TNT is a live radio and TV broadcaster that simply tells the truth 24 hours a day, seven days a week. No one in the world does what we do. Crisscrossing the globe, providing credible news and opinion all day and all night. In two and a half years, TNT has become a credible and exciting platform with brilliant hosts and staff. It's a critical time, and we must continue to call out the misinformation and propaganda from mainstream media and their powerful sponsors. We're now appealing to our many friends and supporters around the world to go to TNTradio.live and make a small donation to TNT while we seek the right investors to continue our important mission. If you're talking about it, we're talking about it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back to Weekends. My guest this hour, Joel Skousen, and goodness me, have you thought, did we get the full picture in the Vladimir Putin-Tucker Carlson interview? What was it that Tucker didn't quite fully understand? Well, Joel has been sort of ripping it apart and explaining the details that many of us are asking. Is it a case of picking a side? Who are the goodies and baddies? And we're going to continue now as we get into Ukraine itself. Joel. Well, thank you, Jason. The important thing to remember about Ukraine is that Tucker, uh, Putin admitted to Tucker Carlson, though he claimed he didn't know why, they put the Donbass, Eastern Ukraine, and Crimea into the boundaries of Ukraine. Well, I know why, and Putin knows why. It's because they knew that they were going to fake their own demise, and they had to have an excuse to start to reconstitute and go back and take back the Soviet states, which they let to be free. Now, remember, it's very important to understand that um, unlike World War II, where we purged all the Nazis out of Germany and France and Italy, et cetera, in order to have them take part in government, because the West played, played along with Russia in believing in the phony fall of the Soviet Union, none of the communists were purged out of any of those governments. That's why there's so much corruption in Ukraine. 
The corruption is from the former communists still in power in the bureaucracy, still taking bribes, still controlling Gazprom and, and all of the other gas and oil companies. And all of the presidents of Ukraine have been more or less puppet presidents of, of Russia, playing like Ukrainian nationalists, but still having an underground allegiance. To Russia. And that's why even it was very difficult to start this war in Ukraine and get Ukraine to do a proper, you know, battlefront because you had so much corruption going on, including former communists still in the military sabotaging and playing like they were neo-Nazis. You know, neo-Nazis are always the favorite thing of any government to deify the opposition. You get your own agents inside there. You claim they claim they're white supremacists or neo-Nazis and, and you can gin up any opposition that you want. But in any way, just as I said, they moved those Russians into Ukraine so that they would have the excuse. Now, let me talk about the Maidan revolution. Even Ron Paul, a famous conservative in the United States, a good friend of mine, has bought into the fact, as every other conservative, that we did the coup in Ukraine in 2014, and we undermined a legitimately elected president of Ukraine, Viktor uh, Yanukovych. Now, it is true that <clears throat> um, the globalists funded the Ukraine initially and, uh, you know, paid the protesters and gave the money to, you know, but there was a key element that happened. The, the protests could never have won. The coup could never have happened if one thing didn't happen. And even Wikipedia used to have it on their site and they removed it ever since I've started to project what this is. But the protesters in the Maidan Square may, um, were surrounded by the Berkut, which is the special riot police, which are ruthless. Uh, these people are really highly trained, uh, really ruthless guards. And they kept uh, people being beaten and kept them so they couldn't escape. Well, in February of 2014, when Yanukovych made a deal with the three leaders that he claimed were the three leaders of the opposition, the protesters in the square said, no, no, we don't accept that deal because those leaders really aren't the real leaders. And, uh, you know, we just don't accept that deal. That was on a Thursday. On Friday, the Berkut never showed up. Now, this is a very important thing. The Berkut disappeared. The police never showed up to keep guard on them. In fact, they didn't even show up at the presidential palace. And suddenly the protesters were able to walk out of the Maidan Square and enter the palace and, and walk through it. It's like the January 6th protest goes up to the Capitol and there were no Capitol Police. Could the protesters have stood, given a stand down order to the police? No. Only Yanukovych, the communist president, could have given the stand down order. In other words, they faked their own coup just like they faked the fall of the Soviet Union. And this is what the Soviets do. And why did they do that? In fact, there was a sniper attack on the protesters and they killed um, and, and some on the police from unknown sources. And I think that was part of a false flag operation to make it appear very, very uh, serious. And so that Yanukovych could say, I am having to flee with my life. And he did, he left the next day claiming, but the protesters were completely unarmed. Who was he fleeing from? maybe the false flag snipers who were probably part of the Berkut. But what I'm saying is, here's what happened by the Russians and the, the communist president faking the coup and blaming it on the West. 
they were able to elect a false nationalist, Pietro Poroshenko, pretending to be a nationalist. But what did he do as soon as he became president? He antagonized the Russian-speaking areas to give Putin a justification to come in and save them by his stealth invasion. Now, you see, a communist president could not have antagonized the Russians. They would have said, what's a communist antagonizing? He's, he's pro-Russian. What's he doing antagonizing? But you see, by faking his demise, by fleeing, and then having Pietro Poroshenko, a false nationalist, to appear like he's pro-Ukrainian, but antagonizing the Russians, aha, that's the motive for the stealth invasion. And that's what triggered this entire war. So this was not the fault of the West, even though they funded the protest. It was a communist coup. It was a false president who antagonized the Russians to justify Putin's coming in. Now, that's the real story. And you've got to know your conspiratorial history in order to find these things out. It's not innocent. And Putin and Carlson just doesn't know any of this stuff. Even Donald Trump came into the presidency not knowing any conspiracy history. And that's why he couldn't tell that Robert Mueller and, and Christopher Wray of the FBI and the Bill Barr, who he put in as attorney general, deep state. Even Brett Kavanaugh, he put on the stream, Supreme Court, was deep state. How do I know that? Because he was second in command to Ken Starr in the cover-up of the Vince Foster murder. Vince Foster was the, the accountant for the Clintons, and he mm. was going to spill the beans before Congress, and they had him killed. And they faked it as a suicide. And uh, it had to be covered up. So you see, conspiratorial here is very important. I knew that Christopher Wray was deep state because he was part of the 9-11 cover-up. 9-11 was a deep state operation from hiring the terrorists to loading the buildings with explosives. And all the others, which I've documented on my website, worldaffairsbrief.com. But you see, what you have to understand is that there are three predator centers in the world. There are the Russians, the Chinese, and the Anglo-American globalists. And the globalists have been building these other two enemies from their very inception because they need one more world war in order to get us into a global government. And you had a question before me in the break, which was why? Yeah. This is the big point, of course, Joel, is what is the motivation for a one world government at all? Why can't we have 200 countries running their own race? Why do we need any of this? All the world is a stage nonsense. What's the motivation behind it? Who's really pulling the strings? Well, the globalists are, in fact, pulling the strings and they control all Western countries, including yours. And the proof of that is how they all followed the COVID Yes. draconian emergency powers and regimes. They've all gone for gun control. They don't want to have, you know, tyrannical governments don't like people to have private arms. It's not for self-defense necessarily. It's to defend against government tyranny. But you see, here's the problem. It's like in the United States. You have 50 individual states and they can, except with some exceptions, have their own laws. Some have no income tax. Some have higher property tax. And so people move from state to state to find more freedom. And that's what happens internationally. One country has more freedom than the other, and you have this flood of immigrants trying to get into the United States, even though we've lost a good deal of it. You see, that's the key thing, is that in order to lock down tyranny, you've got to have a centralized government. Now, technically, if you had a good constitution where your fundamental rights were truly guaranteed, you could have a global government without destroying liberty. 
but it's typical in the EU constitution, you know, you guarantee you have the right of free property and you've got the right of free speech, except when the public needs you to yield your rights. You know, they've got these exceptions in the constitution so that you don't really have those rights when they need to take them away from you. And that's why the British wanted out of the of the EU because they were starting to regulate everything, every product you buy, everything you have. And that's the way we're getting in the United States and in, in Australia. And what led to the COVID restrictions and the quarantines is increased regulation. But you see, COVID can't get the West or the Americans especially to give up anybody. Nobody wants globalism to control like they controlled the Brits. That's why they did Brexit. And by the way, the conservative government in Britain sabotaged the Brexit. They didn't get a real full Brexit. You still got only about half a pie. But because of the Brexit and other things, nobody wants to go voluntarily into a control system. People in the United States don't want to travel to Brussels to to litigate a wetlands violation on their ranch land. You know, they don't want to go from the outback in Australia to the Brussels to litigate, you know, um, an endangered species thing. See, but that's what happens in a global government. It's just become so cumbersome. So you see, they need one more world war to get you into it. And here's how they're going to do it. In 1997, the United States forced upon their military a secret new revamping of the nuclear doctrine called Presidential Decision Directive 60. It was top secret. The Washington Post came out and said to the American public, oh, don't worry about PDD-60. We can still launch on warning. And one of the authors of PDD-60 from the armscontrol.org organization said, no, you can't. And he let the cat out of the bag that what PDD-60 really did. And he said, no, you cannot launch on warning. You have to absorb a nuclear first strike and then retaliate afterwards. And General Butch Needle, the Marine Corps, said, retaliate with what after you've absorbed a nuclear first strike? Well, we've got our nuclear submarines. Well, but not really. Less than half of those are out on patrol at any one time, and none of their warheads can, pr- pr- uh, can penetrate hardened targets. They can hit cities, but that's not part of our nuclear doctrine to kill civilians, you see. So you see, you really are a hostage if that happens. So here's what my theory is. Now, there has to be a trigger event for World War III. Ukraine isn't going to be that trigger event. And that goes to this article in in the Gateway Pundit that we talked about before, about F-16s being able to target things within Russia property. That's supposedly crossing a red line for Putin, threatening nuclear retaliation on the West if you strike targets in Russia. But in fact, how many red lines have we already passed for Putin? How many times have we already threatened to nuke the West if we did that? And how many times has Ukraine already gone in and struck targets in Moscow, in fact? Mm-hmm. With drones, they've struck targets. And we've used TACAM missiles that U.S. provides Ukraine, and they, they've hit ships in Crimea and sunk them. They have hit other weapons depots in Russia, and it still hasn't provoked a nuclear war. And this is why. Putin can't nuke a country unless he can occupy after the devastation. If you can't occupy a country that you nuke, they're going to rebuild and come back and get you. And he can't occupy, I mean, he can occupy barely eastern Ukraine, let alone all of Ukraine, let alone all of eastern Europe, let alone all of Europe, let alone the United States. He can't do it. 
So he can't go through with the nuclear threat until China is ready to join with him. Now, that's the key, because China does have the manpower to occupy. Mm. So that's why China, that's why Russia is bluffing every time they throw the nuclear bluff out there. Not going to happen. In addition, it's not a sufficient provocation to bring China into the war. But what is a sufficient provocation would be Taiwan, or worse yet, North Korea striking South Korea. Why? Because the United States has about 26,000 troops in South Korea. If North Korea attacks those troops, then we have to intervene. We have to, because the American people would not tolerate us losing 26,000 troops to the North Koreans. Now, North Korea has also upped the threat by saying that if we intervene with China attack on Taiwan, that they will strike South Korea and Guam and Hawaii and other things. And so North Korea has become a hyper trigger event in the sense that they are going to come to the backing of China. And China has a treaty to come to the rescue of, Ty of North Korea if we attack North Korea. So that, I believe, is the key trigger event for World War III, not Ukraine and not the Middle East. Because the Middle East nor Ukraine requires China to come in and attack the West as a response. But if we come in after China and North Korea comes after us and we have a Middle East, we have a war in the East, I believe within three weeks, we'd have a world war with China and Russia doing a preemptive nuclear strike on US and NATO military targets. Now, I don't believe that they want to attack cities per se, they want to strike the military first and then blackmail the West into submission because, you see, the communist countries always depend on Western aid and trade. A lot of naive people think that Russia, uh, the, China would never attack the West because it's so dependent on our purchasing. But they fail to realize that in 2011, when Deputy um, uh, Defense Minister Hao Tian in China gave a speech between, before the Politburo in China, and it was leaked to the uh, to the Epic Times. He said, "You know, we're not going to be like the Nazis and be easy on the West. We're going to be ruthless. We're going to cleanse that land because we need living space. We we're running out of places to cook. You know, we have to import all our food. We're going to cleanse that land, and we're going to use biological weapons to do that. And they're going to try to develop biological weapons which target DNA of the Caucasians and not Chinese or not Asians." But they haven't been able to do that so far. So they've had to revert to the nuclear strategy of nuking the military and then blackmailing the West into submission. Now, interestingly enough, our Western globalist leaders want that war just as much as the Russians and Chinese, because that's the way you get us into a global government. Think of it, Jason, if you nuke the U.S. military so that it's decapitated, our leaders come out of their bunker and say, the only way to protect ourselves now is to join in a militarized global government. And who's going to say nay? It's like 9-11 mm. on steroids. It's like Pearl Harbor on steroids. It will just, nobody will protest that. So that's how I think this is going to happen. It won't happen until China's ready. And China's, by their own admission, says we won't be a first-class military probably until 2027. So I think the latter half of this decade is when we are most vulnerable to nuclear war. And it's going to involve Australia because I'm afraid the first part of that nuclear war after striking the U.S. military is China will take everything from Japan, Philippines, down through Australia 
as part of this island chain island hopping, which the Japanese did to protect themselves against invasion. As you know, China's building bases all through Micronesia and in the Spratly Islands and around the Philippines and, uh, and moving into Borneo and other places. Uh, and unfortunately, your own government has let the Chinese military come in and do exchanges and other things in Australia and sold all your mineral rights. And that guarantees that China's got a vested interest in to take your country at the incipient start of the war. It's uh, an incredible story. There is so much uh, detail. And then you juxtapose the long game of what we're seeing with China and Russia against the globalists from the Anglo-American uh, Western uh, a part of a part of the world that also is playing a long game. And you juxtapose that against three and four year political terms in office. And it's no wonder it seems that nobody in power knows what's going on, let alone the media and let alone the general public, who it seems are the only ones that can get us out of this if they want to overthrow their own governments. We're going to take a break and come back with the final segment with Joel here. Don't go anywhere. You're watching Weekends with Jason Olborn here on TNT. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. The United States has really been sold a bill of goods. And I've talked about this several times. I've talked about the people that are running this country are literally bullying the United States. And it's hard to believe that the American people actually let them get away with it, except that if you watch, let's say, Jesse Waters' prime time sometimes, and you see the man on the street interviews, you realize these people, and they're all voting, know nothing about what's going on, or maybe even less than nothing if that's possible. Now, it's fascinating. We talked about the coal plant issue a couple of days ago. How have carbon emissions changed since 2000. China is up 208%. India is up 158%. Other countries are up 53%. The US is down 10%. Europe is down 16%. Now, here is the question. How is the United States letting these other countries get away with it? And it's kind of simple to understand that the complacency and comfort of the capitalist system and freedom that has developed in the United States is building the road it's riding to its own death. Why? Because they're allowing our leaders to simply do whatever they want to do while other countries get away with it. And you want to know something? I don't have anything against China and India for trying to improve their way of life. But why is it the United States and Europe are committing suicide? This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you got. One scorching heat wave will leave me powerless to cool my insulin. When the storm rolls in, my time to find a pet-friendly evacuation center will have run out. <laughs> I'm relying on luck. But who knows if it'll be on my side. When it comes to disasters and emergencies, it's not a matter of if, but when. Take control. One, assess your needs. Two, make a plan. Three, engage your support network. Let's prepare so we all have a better story to tell. This is Weekends with Jason Olborn on today's News, today's Talk, News Talk, TNT. Welcome back to Weekends. My guest this hour, Joel Skousen, and we've been talking about this pathway, it seems, to World War III and all the world is a stage. Joel, where is or what is Trump's role in all of this as seemingly the anti-deep state promising to drain the swamp? But, of course, many people were disappointed 
that nothing seemed to happen right up, of course, until the election, uh, the election that we've seen and probably say, you know, 2000 mules and many other discoveries in, in that. And that certainly was not a legitimate election. You look at the results and at 95 or 96 percent of the count, Trump was so far ahead in, in, in many of these swing states and all of a sudden things stop. So it, it's pretty obvious for those that are watching the news that 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 was not a legitimate election um where do we go next can he get re-elected will there even be an election does the west want to start world war three before november of this year so many balls in the air what's your take well the west can't they want this war because that's how you get us into a a militarized global government um if we absorb a nuclear first strike but they can't start it they have to wait for Russia or China to strike. And Russia isn't going to strike until China's ready and China won't strike until we, I think, try to stop them over Taiwan. And that probably won't happen until the latter part of the decade. So it is not imminent. We have time to prepare, which we need to have another session where we talk about how to prepare for war, for World War III, which is one of my expertises. But uh, the important point is that Trump is incapable of draining the swamp because he, first of all, never does his own homework. He only listens to Fox News for TV for news and gets briefings by mainstream Republican advisors who don't know conspiracy history or theory. And as I said before, you can't tell who's deep state until you know who has taken part in the cover-ups of JFK assassination of Oklahoma City bombing or the 9-11 or Pearl Harbor even, you've got to know who the people are that are covering up for these deep state operations to know who's deep state. And sure enough, Christopher Wray was deep state, Robert Mueller was deep state, James Comey was deep state, Bill Barr was deep state, and Trump was clueless. Now, still, the establishment hates Trump. We have never seen another president attacked so viciously every single day of his life than Donald Trump. And I'm somewhat at a loss of why they fear him so much because he was fairly easy to manipulate. I mean, for example, when Xi Jinping visited Trump in, in Mar-a-Lago, he flattered Trump and Trump was like putty in his hands. He went away thinking that Xi Jinping was his best friend. And so when Trump was gonna go force North Korea to give up its nuclear weapons, either diplomatically or militarily, Xi Jinping got on the phone to Kim Jong-un and said, just flatter the guy and it'd be putty in your hands. And he did. So Trump still believes that Kim Jong-un is a bosom buddy of his. He still thinks that Putin is such a good friend that I could give Putin a call and he'd quit the war of Ukraine just for my telephone call. That kind of arrogance is just stupid, Jason. And it shows that you don't really understand the kind of evil, long-term conspiracy and deception that you've been dealing with, with the Soviets and with the Red Chinese. Besides this fact that, you know, we have never remedied the problems of the 2020 election where Donald Trump was, his election was stolen from him. And I've documented in the World Affairs Brief the hack of the Edison Research data. Now, Edison Research is the one who collects all of the data from the states in the United States and broadcasts it to the television networks. And you have something similar in Australia. What you see on television comes through a centralized computer that receives it from all the, you know, the territories and consolidates it. Well, someone hacked into that computer of Edison Research and got all their data and found out 
how many hundreds of thousands of votes were flipped from Trump to Biden, how many hundreds of thousands of votes came in for Trump that weren't even registered for Trump. And that was the quantity that Trump and his lawyers never presented to the courts because Trump hired Rudy Giuliani, who's deep state. He was part of the 9-11 conspiracy. And he sabotaged Trump's legal legal battle. And so now everything in the media is there was never any theft of the election. That's completely a lie. And, you know, we hear that every single day. So, but I don't think Trump will allow to be reelected. Uh, just no way. The, I mean, the machinery of stealing election because any computer, tabulation computer that's connected to the internet can be stolen. And they're all connected to the internet. So there's no way to stop the steal. Uh, yeah, they did use a lot of ballot stuffing in the 2020 election. They don't even have to do that anymore. But what they do have to do is make sure that it doesn't look too different from the polling. And that's why the introduction of Robert F. Kennedy Jr. into the race as a third party will now take enough votes from Trump that if Trump loses, they can always blame it on RFK. And I, I would be shocked if they run Biden. He's so incompetent, so senile. But it's almost as if the deep state is thumbing their nose at the American people and say, we could elect a corpse. That's how powerful we control the election. Mm. So I'm not optimistic. As I told you in the, in, the, in the brief, I've been offered to run for the presidency on behalf of the Constitution Party of the United States because they recognize that I, I'm knowledgeable enough to drain the swamp. Uh, now, I can't get elected. It's almost impossible for a third party to reach majority status in one fell swoop, but I'm going to try my best to deliver my message as far as I can into the United States so that they understand conspiracy. But one last thing that your readers need to understand is this point, which is plaguing U.S. conservatives. Because the United States deep state did a false flag at 9-11, they hired the terrorists, they loaded the buildings with explosives, it wasn't the airplanes that brought them down. Uh, they had uninterrupted autopilots controlling those airplanes coming in. I've got all that documentation on my website, worldaffairsbrief.com. But because they ginned up all of these wars on terror, which they created, in fact, we created Al-Qaeda after the Afghanistan Russians were kicked out. We created ISIS by taking 50% of the Arab terrorists that we imported into Syria retitled them, renamed them ISIS, it gave them priority and funding, and sent them on a rampage in Europe. And what did they do that? They did that to create so much, so many Arab refugees that they could flood Europe and destroy the culture there in one fell swoop. And that's what's happening with these culture wars in Europe. But here's the point that your listeners need to understand. Because conservatives now hate the globalists so much, they think that anybody the globalists are against, like in the war on terror, Iraq and Afghanistan, were innocent. They didn't have anything to do with the 9-11. So the conservatives in the United States are convinced that anybody the globalists are against must be good, must be innocent. And that's why they bought into what Tucker Carlson, they think Russia has to be innocent. And Russia's playing that card by playing to be a Christian. Now, they don't make KGB colonels Christians. They don't make Christians KGB colonels. And a lot of Americans don't realize that the Soviets subverted all the Catholic heart or the Orthodox church hierarchy during the Soviet years, infiltrated with a lot of communist cadres so that the 
Orthodox Church never complained about any of the crimes of humanity of the Stalin regime, not a single complaint. They were controlled. And that's why in Ukraine, the Orthodox Church is still controlled by a lot of communists. And that's why they've been banned, so to speak, because they're so pro-Russian. But you see, Putin is claiming to be anti-woke, anti-LBGTQ and all of that, but he's faking it all. It's just he's a, a ruthless dictator. And in today's World Affairs Brief, that your listeners can get a free sample copy by going to worldaffairsbrief.com and clicking on request a sample. They'll get this brief today. I outline how many people Putin has assassinated and killed in the opposition. It's been nearly 10 since he's, you know, including the oligarch who brought him to power. He had him assassinated in London, Boris Berezovsky. So there's a lot of information I could give, but the main point I want to say is the globalists, after building these two enemies, always have to switch sides and begin to attack them right before war so they don't get blamed for having built these two enemies. And that's what's happening. So because of the globalists who have always lied to you about COVID, about vaccines, about all of this, are now telling the truth about Russia. And it galls us to hear that because we just can't believe that these awful, evil people are telling the truth. And so it's so easy for hard-headed conservatives to believe, oh, they've got to still be lying. Putin has to be a good guy. And Tucker Carlson, bless his heart, he's a good person, but he just is and doesn't know his history. He just can't see through this grand deception. That's my message. And this is it, isn't it, that uh, the adage of my, the enemy of my enemy is my friend is not quite uh, enough anymore, is it, that uh, we will right, be being... That's right. We're being attacked on on all sides. I've noticed we've only got about a minute left, um, Joel, and I'm just wondering in all of this, do you hold hope that, um, that that it seems that the only way forward from here is that the people themselves must rise up? Have we got it in us to be able to stand up against global tyranny or are we just destined one way or another to be manipulated into a militaristic one world government? Well, we are as long as we, we fail to do our homework and as I say, you know, the, the, the media will crucify me running for president because I believe in conspiracy. You know how they treat, oh, he's a conspiracy theorist. Yeah. Well, but the point is, I don't care if they try to crucify. I have the facts, just yeah. like I presented you today. Boy, nobody can contest these facts. And so that's what they're going to fear. And they're going to have to come out against me because if we can convince enough people that the problem is not voting for the lesser of two evils anymore we've got to have a full cleaning of the house in australia in the united states in germany and all of those places we've got to rise up and understand our conspiratorial history to beat the deep state in every one of our countries yes indeed look joel scousen it's been a, a privilege a thrill and a delight to be able to, to be informed the way that you have Unfortunately, though, we have our work cut out for us. It's just incredible to think that this is where we are in 2024. I want to thank you for your time and look forward to speaking with you again a bit more about the other part of uh, of being strategic in our survival. We're going to take a break for news. Thanks, Joel. And we're going to come back with a brand new guest after the, uh, the break, John Flatter, to talk about life after death. You're watching and listening to TNT. Tim.